You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, the podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. Hello, hello, everyone. I'm Patrice, and I'm Rachel, and welcome back to Language Nerds to Earth. Yeah, it's been a minute. We are on episode forty-four this week. We're going to be talking about some kind of crazy sports this week from around the world. Yeah, first we're gonna take a look at some of the most popular ones, but then we want to dive into some interesting cultural sports. Yeah, and then finally we will talk about some hilarious sports. <laughs> So finally, we're going to have a hilarious lost in translation from Lisa. Yay! Thank you, Lisa, for submitting your lost in translation moment. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Before we do anything, we do have a language news segment today. So Rachel is not, but I am a huge Game of Thrones fan. I actually just watched all seven seasons before. This last season. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was quite the investment. And we were trying to do it quickly. So we would watch three episodes in a night, which is three hours of TV. Yeah. It was dedication. But we have some Game of Thrones language news. Mm-hmm. This is actually so interesting. Yeah. And anyone who's interested in Game of Thrones or as well some other... Constructed languages or conlangs, I think. <laughs> yeah, apparently. You're going to be interested. Yeah. If you've been following it, you've probably heard that High Valyrian is now available as a language that you can study on Duolingo. Actually, it's 1.2 million people are learning High Valyrian on <laughs> Duolingo. That's nuts. Which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, in the UK, it's especially popular. Over a hundred thousand people in the UK alone have signed up to study High Valyrian. That's more than the number of people who can speak traditional languages like Irish and Scottish Gaelic. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but High Valyrian is the language that Amelia Clark's character Daenerys speaks. So I thought it was really interesting because the guy who came up with the language. His name is David Peterson. He has created a lot of different constructed languages, mostly for TV and movies. And he said that it takes between six months and a year to get the grammar functioning. And then after that, you can either manually or with a computer create words and vocabulary abiding to that grammar. So that's a little bit of how it happens that you. Can make a language from scratch. I really like that he didn't go into specifics of how that works, but I love the idea of like plugging in potential sounds into like a program and having it generate words from that for you. Yeah, like how he said the word "blick" is a totally acceptable possible word in English. It's just not a word. It doesn't happen to be one, but it includes all of the sounds that we use. Right. So he talks about how conlangs have. Especially been helped by the internet because it allows people to talk about new vocabulary and access kind of little groups, I guess.、Mm-hmm. Find other communities of people who are interested in that language. So, for example, Klingon is one of the 
best known from Star Trek Mm -hmm. and has enjoyed a cult following since the 1990s. Yeah, and apparently the creator of Klingon releases a new word every once in a while just to kind of keep that going. Yeah. Which I really like. It's cool. <laughs> like, languages evolve. This one evolves artificially, but evolves. Mm-hmm. Peterson, the guy who created the languages in Game of Thrones, he talked about how he just had a few phrases with which to build the whole language. Mm-hmm. So George R. R. Martin wrote some phrases that he had to then construct a whole language around. Which is amazing. He worked on it sometimes 18 hours a day. And the way he made it was he entered a competition based on these phrases, make a language around that construction. And he won the competition. He said a lot of good linguists submitted their languages and mine happened to win. And he said, I submitted 300 pages of material, including grammar, translations, and some cultural phrases. Yeah. <sighs> like, because that's so much a part of a language. Definitely. There are little things that we say all the time, like knock on wood or when in Rome. Or if I had a nickel. Yeah, right. And those are little things that are just understood. So those are the kinds of things that he came up with. Very impressive. And then he also created Dothraki because he was known as their go-to language guy. And Dothraki is the language that Jason Momoa speaks. Mm -hmm. And... It's very, very cool and, like, guttural. The the Thraki are kind of like the Mongolians of Westeros. Oh, okay. Yeah. Out of the cast of Game of Thrones, the linguist David Peterson said that the actor who plays Grey Worm did the best job. He said he's the best performer I've ever seen in a created language. I've worked on a lot of stuff, and he's still far and away the best. I love hearing him speak. So he's, like, the best actor in a made-up language. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Well, super interesting language news. And we'll, of course, post the link so you can read more about it. Mm-hmm. And maybe you want to start learning. Which one is it? Valyrian that's on Duolingo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Why not? <laughs> Why not? <Yeah. laughs> For me, I want to learn any language I want, but I don't really want to learn a made up language. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But <laughs> it's very cool that people are so interested in it and willing to learn it yeah i agree i think it says something about how dedicated you are as a fan of something Mm -hmm. if you want to learn the language for it yeah cool so let's go ahead and move on to our main topic this week which is sports yes so first what are the most popular sports in the world yeah so according to participation if we're taking into account participation. Not surprisingly, football is the most practiced sport in the world. AKA soccer. So European football. Sorry. Oh no, it's okay. (laughs) Just want to be super clear. The majority of our listeners are in the US. Guys, we're talking about soccer. So 265 million people play the sport with more than 5 million referees, which equates to 4% of the world's population. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a lot. But I mean, it's really not surprising because if you go to a lot of parts of the world, most kids know how to play football or soccer. Exactly. Number two really surprised me, to be honest. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So 
So badminton is the second most popular sport in the world in terms of number of players. Yeah, it's surprising, but I guess it's very popular in a lot of Asian countries. It's really popular in China. I see people in the park playing badminton all the time. I guess it's you just wouldn't expect it because the courts are so small. So maybe they just don't <sighs> take up a lot of room. <laughs> yeah, it's fairly accessible, though. You know, the mm. equipment is pretty easy to come by and it's kind of low impact, maybe. Yeah. Uh, the third most popular is field hockey. Yeah, also surprising to me, mostly because I just didn't grow up around it, I think. Yeah, I think where we're from, it's not too popular, Mm -hmm. but I guess in a lot of parts of the world, it is. Yes, apparently it's a firm favorite at the Olympic Games, and it's very technical. Mm. Oh, I did not know. Number four is volleyball, which originates in the U.S. Global participation figure of 998 million. Wow. That's a lot. And I think, again, it's, like, easy to get into, mm-hmm. you know? You don't need a ton of equipment, at least to play just casually. That's true. It's not something like polo that you need, like, a horse and a lot of equipment. <laughs> so I think a lot of these sports are kind of easy to get into. Football, badminton. Accessible, for sure. Uh, volleyball. Yeah. Uh, the fifth one is basketball, mm-hmm. which, again, falls into that category. Yep. Uh, Part of the global popularity has been aided by Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Mm. There's a Chinese guy who is the manager of my gym who's really into basketball. (laughs) I'm like, what are you going to do this weekend? And he's he's like, I'm going to watch the basketball game. (laughs) But like American basketball. So he's like, Uh don't you know the this team is playing that I... Would never be able to tell you what it is. (laughs) But yeah, he gets totally excited about it. That's cool. Number six is tennis. It's the most popular individual sport in the world. And it's played by about 60 million men and women around the world. Pretty cool. Yeah. Number seven is cricket. Hmm? So the British Empire came. They took their game all around to their whole empire and... Now it's super popular, especially in like India and Pakistan. Uh, Pakistan. Yeah. Apparently it's played in 125 countries around the world. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't know anything about cricket, really. I don't know much about it, but I knew somebody in the US who played it. He was from Pakistan and he would like injure himself all the time because <laughs> there's like a lot of oh. like up and down in it and throwing. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, when I was coming here, I was listening to an audiobook, and in the book there was a very long description of a cricket game, and I was like, I have no idea what they're talking about. What are these things? What is the purpose of this game? I don't know. All right, that's so I was our a little homework. lost for about fifteen minutes. It's <laughs> like okay. If any professional cricket players out there are listening to our podcast, we apologize. <laughs> Number eight is table tennis, which has become more and more popular over the years because a lot of people are bringing it into schools and social clubs. Yeah, it's really fun to play. It's a kind of a social game or, well, it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it can also be a very serious game. Yeah, in the context I've played it, it has not been. No. Whereas the context that I've played other sports, like maybe basketball or things like that, it has been a little bit more serious, but it's also very popular in Asia too, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I want to say that it was popular um, in Germany 
like you said, it's an accessible sport. You need a table and a net. It's the same thing as ping pong, right? Yeah, it's the same. In Chinese, it's ping pong qiu. Little tidbit. So I guess that's where the name <laughs> ping pong comes from. Yeah, maybe. Number nine is baseball, which kind of surprised me because it's popular. I know it's very popular in the U.S. and some other countries like the Dominican Republic, other parts of Latin America, and Japan, too, I think. Korea. Korea really likes baseball. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. But I don't see it here at all. Yeah, I would... I would not expect to see it in Europe. I'm sure I haven't seen it in Europe. Yeah, I haven't either. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it in China. I definitely saw it a lot in Korea. Our little town of 1.5 million people had a baseball team that was owned by Kia. Uh-huh. So the name of the team was the Kia Tigers. <laughs> it's really interesting, actually. Like, the Koreans will buy players from the U.S. who are kind of... Or from the West whose careers mm -hmm. are kind of on the decline. Okay. Kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. They definitely stand out on the field. <laughs> okay. Number 10 is golf. Oh, you said that's so disappointed. <sighs> My dad is really into golf. Mine too. Yeah. Does he call you and go, Rachel, I have an epiphany. <laughs> no, he doesn't do that. <laughs> My dad will be like, Patrice, I had a great epiphany about my golf game. And it'll last for like a few weeks and then I'll totally forget about it. <laughs> yeah, this one's surprising because it actually does take quite a bit of equipment. Mm -hmm. A golf. lot of equipment and a lot of land. A lot of land and a lot of money to play golf. So much money. But I guess it's something that a lot of, especially men, do kind of casually or like in business situations. Mm -hmm. So I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah. I listened to a podcast once, Mel I think it was a Malcolm Gladwell podcast, and he talks about how golf, the proportion of space to person that you need is astronomical. It's played in a lot of places, though. We have golf courses in Shenzhen. Do you have them in Madrid? I'm sure there are, but I've, I've never really heard anyone talking about them, mm. but I'm sure there are. Yeah. It's just like you said, the businessman's sport, it seems like. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of time to chat. <laughs> yes, exactly. Cool. Well, those are the 10 most popular sports. Now let's talk about some very culture-specific sports around the world. Last week, for the episode number 43, we talked about Basque, and we mentioned that stone lifting and log cutting are two popular sports in the Basque country. So I wanted to learn a little bit more about that. And it is insane. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit. So for hundreds of years, people have used stones or cutting logs with axes in the mountains to prove who was the strongest in the Basque country. People will have competitions like who can lift this stone or who can cut this log. Mm -hmm. And the way they do the log cutting is they stand on a... On a log. It's kind of been flattened out at the top and the bottom for balance. And they leave some space between their feet and then they take an axe to the log. And they have to keep cutting at it until they split the log. Wow. And so the first person to split the log wins in this case. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, for the stone lifting, traditionally they used actual stones, but... In the last hundred years or so, they've been making like these 
blocks of steel or metal, some kind of metal that weighs a certain amount so you can get a fair exact measurement of each one. But they have round ones, spherical, and it's like the size of uh -huh. maybe a little bigger than a volleyball. And then they also have these box ones, big rectangular boxes. And the boxes have handles on them. So they use their bodies and their hands to roll the box up to their shoulder. The, the goal of the stone lifting with both the sphere and the cube is to get it onto their shoulder. And it's like especially impressive if they can do it with one hand. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So like an average man is what, 200 pounds, like 90 kilos. And he might be able to lift a cube that's like 200 to 270 kilos. So um, like over 500 pounds onto their shoulder from the ground. That's insane. It's really nuts. And uh, we'll put a link into the show notes. Wait, did you say 700 kilos? 200 to 270 kilos. But they do have another part of the stone lifting competition where they like need to drag a stone that has a metal bar attached to it. And in the video I watched, this one guy said, I weigh about 91 kilos, and the stone we work it with that we drag across cobblestones is like 740 to 750 kilos. Oh my god. That's, what, like 1,400 pounds? Yeah, at least. That's maybe closer to 1,600 pounds at that point. Oh my like god, that's like a horse. Or a across mule. cobblestones. That's what a horse would do. Oh, yeah. True. Like a man as strong as a horse. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it takes him more time, probably, but yeah. he does it. And he said in the video, it's actually hardest on his feet because, like, he wears boots, but, like, it's a really heavy rock. And when you're trying to drag it, he faces the rock and drags it toward him, and it lands a little bit on his feet every time. So like you lose toenails and oh, like wow. you, your feet get scuffed up. Yeah. It's really, that, people have to be really strong. Yeah. Well, clearly. <laughs> oh my God. That's nuts. I think it's also a little bit different from like, you know, the strongman competitions where they lift, lift a bar because mm -hmm. you use different muscles to get these huge things off the ground, you know, right. like, it's a different kind of balance with the sphere as well. So it's a betting thing, though. People have always bet money on the stronger person. So if they live in the Basque country, there are a lot of quarries and forests. So <laughs> people, <laughs> for in, if they live near quarries, they bet on who can lift the heavier stone. And if they live in, near a forest, they bet on who can cut a log faster. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, really interesting. The next one we have is Sepak Takra, which is sort of similar to volleyball, but you hit the ball with your feet. And it started in Malaysia in the 15th century, and it was even the Philippine national sport until 2009. It's also played now in Japan, Canada, and in the US in LA. And I think that you're only allowed to hit the ball once. I don't know if it's once per side or once per person per side each time that it comes in. Oh, over. wow. Yeah, so it's not like volleyball that you can, like, hit it multiple times. 
And so players kick their legs straight up into the air, and that's how they can get the ball over the net. It's about the size of a badminton court, and the net is like a meter and a half above the ground. So it's not very tall. So, yeah. I mean, that's it's like less shorter than, than most people, yeah. And you're allowed to touch the, the ball with your legs and body and head, but not with your arms and hands. Mm-hmm. So it's like football, but volleyball. Yeah. But it's so interesting because, like, if you watch these videos of the guys kicking the ball over the net, they have the world's most flexible hamstrings. I'm sure. (laughs) They do these air splits, like kicking the ball across the net, because they have to get it high. And they're also, like, if you think about volleyball, you want to spike the ball onto the ground of your opponent. Yeah. You have to get up high and then have it come down really fast. So that's like what they're trying to do. Oh my God. But with their feet. Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> like a bicycle in football, I guess. Yeah. You know that move where you like kick your, and then you land on your back. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do they do that with one foot? Uh, I don't remember, but probably. How would yeah. you kick it with two? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I have, I have trouble picturing it. <laughs> this is, everything's so upside down when you bring your feet into it like that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's it's really big in Southeast Asia. So, Sepak Takra. There are some really great videos on YouTube of just like Sepak Takra champions yeah. in the world. <laughs> the next sport is Kabaddi which is the Indian breath-holding sport. I don't know if that's what people call it. (laughs) This one sounds really fun. Yeah, it's very interesting. So it's really complicated. There are a lot of rules. But like you were saying about like the most popular sports, it's very accessible. Like you just need like an open space and two teams of people. Mm -hmm. So this sport is popular in India. You have two teams of 12 players. On one team, only one player, the Raider, is on the field. And he has to get from... He has to go to his opponent's side and get to a certain line on his opponent's side and then back to the middle of the field in one breath. And how do they know? (laughs) Right. So how do they know he only is using one breath? He has to shout kabaddi, 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 kabaddi over and over so the ref knows that he's not taking a breath. It's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. It must be very intense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right, because you only have like a certain amount of time. And meanwhile, you're running. But the thing about it is that you're also being blocked. So there's one guy, the raider on the team, but he's being blocked by the defenders of the other team. And that's... I don't know if it's seven people every time, but the seven people, they are trying to keep him from getting to the midpoint of the field, but they also don't want him to touch them. So he has to try to touch them and then get to the points on the field and you get a point for every player that you touch. Mm -hmm. And he can touch them any way he can. Like he can do it with his hand or with his foot or like trying to get away from a tackle and they'll tackle him in order to keep him from getting to the midpoint before he finishes his breath. So they'll tackle him and then he runs out of breath and then he doesn't win that round. But if they tackle him and he gets away, then the person who he touched when they tackled him is out. Oh, okay. So does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not good. I'm not a good sports explainer. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, it makes sense. Uh, so basically, he has to get there and back in one breath, or he doesn't get anything, right? No points. Right. If he if he doesn't make it, then I think he doesn't get any points. Mm-hmm. But he also wants to touch people, but he has to get back to get the points. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So these people, like, they don't want to be touched, but they also do want to be touched because they want to tackle him. So they have to be far enough away to avoid being touched, but close enough to be able to tackle if he tries to run to the midline. Mm-hmm. And I think this is also really popular in the UK. Or there are pockets. Oh, really? Yeah, I read something about there are pockets of this sport. I really wanted to find an audio clip of somebody going, kabaddi, 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 but I couldn't. Oh, <laughs> so man. I just had to create it for you right there. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I <laughs> know, it was very, very lifelike. <laughs> so another one is buskashi, which is the Afghani mm-hmm. national sport, and it literally means goat grabbing. So, so bizarre. It's so, it's, uh, it sounds and looks quite brutal. Yeah. So they have a goat carcass. When I first saw a picture, I thought it was a live goat. So luckily, at least it's a carcass. And people on horses try to get the goat carcass into a goal. Mm-hmm. Which is just like a space on the field. Sometimes it's a pit, maybe. Mm-hmm. So if you succeed in getting it off the ground, someone else might grab another leg and pull it away from you. So it's kind of like a free-for-all. Imagine, that's very heavy, a goat carcass. I mean, goats can be really fat. So, uh, I mean, what, 100 pounds, 150 pounds probably. Yeah, and and from the top of a horse. Right. Like, you can't get off the horse to pick it up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it began among nomadic Turkic peoples who came from farther north and east, spreading westward from China and Mongolia between the 10th and 15th centuries. So it's pretty old. And apparently they, in western China, they play yak buskashi, which is instead of horses, they use yaks in the snow. It's totally nuts. In the snow. What? I know. I know, I, I watched a little clip of Yak Buskashi, because I was like, what? YouTube, please show me this. And it was, it was so magical. It was so bizarre. Like, they're on these furry yaks, and their yaks are smaller than horses, so it's kind of like a cuter Buskashi. <sighs> Riding through the snow. Wow. Playing with a goat carcass. Yeah. <laughs> it was banned under the Taliban. Oh. Yeah, because it was considered too brutal of a sport. For the Taliban. Yeah. Good point. (laughs) Which is true. Like, people get, like, they break hands and shoulders and noses all the time. Because they have these horses and they fall off the horses or the horses plow into each other. It's it's rough. Oh my god, it sounds really brutal. Yeah. And, uh, like, somebody who's considered to be, like, a good buskashi player is usually a man in his 40s because there's just so much experience that goes into doing a good job at playing buskashi. They've picked up a lot of dead goats by then, so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's interesting. The last point. A former professional English rider said it's just like rugby on horseback. 
So that gives mm-hmm. you an idea of kind of the brutality of it. Yeah. And imagine the skills that you need to have riding a horse as well. Right. Yeah, this professional English rider, he was trying to be trained by an Afghani professional Buskashi trainer. And he would like lean over and try to pick up something much smaller than a goat carcass. And it was really difficult for him Yeah, to get down there. They have these special saddles with kind of like a seat on the back that you can lean against. But still, imagine like they must have really good side abs. Yeah, I think. Definitely. Obliques. (laughs) So that's Buskashi. Next we have Glima, which is a Viking martial art played in Iceland. It's about 1200 years old and it's the national sport of Iceland. And now it's actually also gaining popularity in Norway. So it's picking up steam. (laughs) The goal of, of this martial art is to be the fighter standing when the other fighter is lying on the ground. And they don't want to be touched by the one that's lying on the ground. So they often will like throw their opponent, try to throw their opponent onto the ground as far away from them as possible. Each game has throws, blows, kicks, chokes, locks, pain techniques, everything aimed at getting the player onto the ground where they can't touch them. So there are a bunch of forms of glima, but a very common form is to like try to grab each other by the waist and try to get them down that way. Mm-hmm. So there are special belts made for grabbing the waist. Before it was just the trousers, which you can probably imagine what happened from with that. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. But yeah, now they use belts. So it, it is a lot like wrestling, but there are some ways that it differs from wrestling. One way it's different from wrestling is that the opponents must always stand straight up or erect. And... They have to step in a clockwise circle around each other, which is almost like a dance. And this way, it gives more opportunities for offense and defense. It's also not permitted to fall down on your opponent, (laughs) which is a big thing in wrestling, I guess. Mm -hmm. Or to push him down in a forceful way, because it's not considered sportsmanlike. That's nice. Yeah. And the opponents are supposed to look across each other's shoulders as much as possible because it's considered proper to wrestle by touch rather than by sight, which is super interesting. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess it's the etiquette of the sport that you you look over the opponent's shoulders. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. The clockwise thing also makes sense because that way you don't have people like going back and forth. And, like, it keeps the sport going. So Mm -hmm. I also think that's a good idea. Totally. Have you seen videos of it? Yeah, I watched a video of, like, a Glima training camp. And it was, like, these Norsemen in, like, the mountains of Iceland in this beautiful landscape. We can link it up in the show notes. And they're, like, all shirtless with, like, long hair. Yeah. And the trainer was like, okay, this is how you do the glima. And uh, yeah, it was really fun. Did you see any? Yeah, I've seen some before. It's pretty interesting to watch. So yeah, let's link something up in the show notes about that. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like a fun martial art. I don't, I wouldn't do it because I'm not into martial arts. I like my running and my gym. That's enough for me. (laughs) But I'm sure like people who like that kind of thing would enjoy it. Yeah. It's interesting to watch even if you don't want to do it yourself, though. Exactly, yes. A little bit like Muay Thai, 
when we were in Thailand in February, we watched a Muay Thai fight. It was really interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so an- another is Valam Kali, which is a traditional boat race in Kerala, India, which is on the southwestern coast of India on the Arabian Sea. Uh, it's very touristy, and according to National Geographic, it was named one of the top 10 paradises of the world. So usually this happens during the harvest festival Onam in the autumn, and Valam Kali includes races of many kinds of paddled longboats, which are traditional boats of Kerala. These boats were actually developed in the 13th century war. They're war boats. And the Van Chipatu is the form of poetry in the Malayalam language commonly used during Valamkali and related festivals. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it would be very beautiful. It is. It is very beautiful. We'll link up a video to Valamkali in the show notes. But they're on these really, really, really long boats, probably a hundred men per boat. And they're all rowing in tandem with each other. So if you've watched a crew, a crew race, mm-hmm. we've seen this kind of rowing together, but they're on these really old war boats that it's the technique for making these boats is 650 years old. And they have like these cool carvings on the back. And it's in one of the 10 most beautiful places in the world according to National Geographic. So this video of Valam Kali, it's like all these men in white shirts rowing on these really, really long boats with a carved snake on the back or a dragon. I don't remember what animal it is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like several boats doing that at once in a river, like racing each other. It's a really, it's a really beautiful sport, like you said. And it's nonviolent. Yay! Yay! <laughs> It's teamwork oriented, actually. Teamwork oriented. There's poetry involved. Like, win all around. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So the last sport we have is the Mayan ball game, which uh, is this kind of anthropological at this point because it's not really played anymore, but people are bringing it back. Traditionally, it was used as like a fight to the death literally the losers of the game would be sacrificed to the gods by the winners who would chop off their heads that's nuts i mean speaking of brutal yeah thankfully they don't play it that way now no yes yeah it was um when the conquistadors came they outlawed this mayan ball game but uh if you go to chichen itza which is one of the mayan ruins in mexico you can see the hoops where people had to send the ball through but they wouldn't send the ball through with their hands or their feet they had to hit it with their hip Mm. it's really crazy actually, because this is a really solid ball. I don't, it wouldn't have been made out of rubber, I guess, in Mayan times, but they do use rubber for it today, like a heavy rubber. And women and men play it now. And they get dressed up in their headdresses and like war paint. They'll put on like masks made of, that look like skeletons or something. And it looks really, like really fun. They really like are bringing their history into it, right? Yeah. 
But yeah, like they were saying, when you first start out, your hips are just covered in these huge bruises <laughs> from trying to hit the ball. And I think the beginning of the game is the hardest because you got to get the or the beginning of each play because you have to get the ball off the ground. So they're like all on the ground, like with their hips trying to get it up in the air. Yeah. That sounds really difficult. So challenging, right? Yeah. That's like another sport where you definitely develop muscles in places you didn't know you had muscles. Yeah, definitely. So that's kind of all we're going to talk about for more cultural sports. And now we have some, just a couple of wild card ones, sports that are played around the world that are just kind of strange. Totally nuts. Yeah. <laughs> So we each have a couple that we're going to talk about. So one that I thought was really funny was Man vs. Horse Marathon. Yes! And apparently it was originally a way to settle a pub argument in 1979 between two Welshmen. And they said they were wondering who would win a marathon, a horse or a man. And so apparently every year they do this marathon and... Almost always, unsurprisingly, horses win, but on two occasions, men have won. And it's been going on since the 80s, right? Yeah, so, and the, if a human wins, they're eligible to win a $40,000 cash prize. Yeah, that is hilarious. But horses are faster than humans, so. <laughs> yes, and definitely have more stamina, like, yeah, when it comes to long distances i don't know how the horses ever lost but no I'm impressed. They, they probably just got distracted or were bored you know yeah. <laughs> they're like this is like a normal day for me yeah <laughs> i'm tired one that i really liked which i'm sure that it's not a sport like i don't know why it's on this list of 25 weird sports but uh -huh. i'm gonna I'm going to use it anyway because it's just, it was too bizarre. So it's extreme ironing. <laughs> People bring ironing boards and clothes and an iron to dangerous locations such as a cliff and iron. It's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. And... There's an extreme ironing bureau, which I don't know which is weirder, the fact that this sport exists or the fact that they developed, like, a bureau. Yeah. <laughs> it's, quote-unquote, the latest dangerous sport that combines the thrills of an extreme outdoor activity with the satisfaction of a well-pressed well shirt. That's all I have to say about that. That's, yeah, that speaks for itself. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one that I thought was very bizarre is called wife carrying. <laughs> I was hoping you would talk about that. Though. Yes. So it came from Finland originally, and apparently a lot of local women were commonly abducted, but it actually has teams from all around the world, and it's very competitive, and I guess you don't have to be husband and wife team, but it has to be a team of two, and they... From what I understand, it's kind of like an obstacle course where they basically carry a person on their back or on their shoulders, let's say. There's a world wife carrying world championship. Yep. That is so funny. The US team is highly competitive, 
participants need to win their state championship to qualify for the global championship. <laughs> Despite the title, any team of two can participate. So that's nice. Yeah. That's totally weird. I wonder what it has to do with wife abduction. Like, I, I don't if- know. I can't figure that out either. <laughs> like, it's to learn how to adopt- abduct wives, or you carry your wife so she won't get abducted. I don't get it. Yeah. Totally weird. Okay. Another one that is not on this list, but I heard of recently and I really wanted to talk about was Russian slapping. Okay. So this is something that's, I, from what I could find, is relatively new in Russia. And they just have slapping championships. Like, they have two men facing each other and who can knock the other person out with slapping. I think it's I've heard of dangerous. that. Yeah. <laughs> I might have told you about it. Or maybe you heard it somewhere else too, but... I think I heard it somewhere else. Like, maybe even in a book or something. I don't know. Yeah, like, there's, like, the World Russian Slapping Championships on YouTube, and it's, like, the two best slappers in Russia are facing off against against each other, and they are big dudes. Yeah. Taking these blows, like, open palm face slaps. And they, and, like, they go down. They go down hard. People definitely get real injuries from this. I can, yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) Oh, wow. So what other crazy sports do you know about? Or do you have one that's from your culture that we didn't talk about? Of course, we didn't talk about all of them. There would be no time for that. But we'd love to hear if there's something cool that we missed. Yes, please let us know. And before we go, we have a Lost in Translation moment. Yes. From Lisa. So you don't always have to send us voice recordings of your Lost in Translation moment. You can do what Lisa did and just type us a little message in our contact section on the website. So Lisa says, I was traveling in South America And people would ask me what I did for a living. I'm an HR advisor, and my specialism is employment law and employee relations. I was aiming to say the following. Soy una asesora de recursos humanos y sobre todo doy consejos a a gerentes. I'm a consultant for human resources, and mostly I give advice to managers. So that's what that means. Uh, however, I had been saying conejo, which is rabbit, not consejo, which is advice, for about three weeks before I realized my mistake. Weirdly, no one pointed this out to me. They just <laughs> nodded along. <laughs> On reflection, they probably just didn't understand anything I said. <laughs> I give rabbits to managers, you know? Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I laughed so hard when I read that. That's amazing. It's so close. Yeah. You know? Like, I never thought about that. No. I never realized. Just one letter different, but makes the world of difference. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of words like that in languages that you, like, one little thing and m- your meaning is totally off. Yep. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And thank you so much, Lisa, for sending that in. Yes, thank you. We loved it. If you have your Lost in Translation moment that you would like to send to us, 
go to languagenerdsdoearth.com and click on the contact slash LIT segment and you can use the voice recorder or the contact form and we would love to hear from you. Yeah. So what did you think about this week's episode? Let us know. You can drop us a line on any social media platform or on the contact form on our website. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast while you're at it. Make sure you don't miss any of the new episodes. We are on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. So make sure you follow us on social media there. And you can also use that to interact with us. We love hearing from you. And make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. And please tell your friends or family about it if you enjoyed it and think they would too. And what's our next episode about, Rachel? Traveling in Germany. So we'll give you some tips about how to go through Germany, maybe some places that we think are worth visiting, and any other consejos, any other advice we have. Exactly. Yeah, we thought we would do something a little bit different next week, zoom in on a travel destination. So if you have any requests, let us know and we will see if we can get to them. As always, thank you so much for listening, everybody, and have a great week. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Snake bats. Oh, okay. Snake bats. What are snake bats? Boats. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Just a quick thing. You said open face, face slaps, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, open face, palm on oh, the face. Oh, like open handed. Okay. Yes. Open. Thank you. Why did I say open faced? I knew I knew I was saying open faced, but I definitely wanted to say open palm. So I'll try again.